0: of the coming of the lord you are speaking truth to power you are laying down our sword we know there are many people who feel betrayed and and injured by the church along the way for some people this gathering does not, would not feel like a safe place to be, even when we are gathered outside. I've seen you in our home fires Burning with the quiet light. So, uh, at the end of May, we celebrated Pentecost, and thereafter, we, we head off into this long season of Sunday's Uh, long known as Ordinary Time. But just look at us. Uh, The train left the station on Ordinary quite some time ago, clearly. Uh, Things are upside down, things are inside out. In creation, where rising temperatures and sea levels pose an existential threat to humankind, whether or not we've gotten around to admitting or understanding that just yet in society where racial and social upheaval is making some kind of profound transition in our lifetimes in the world where a pandemic has driven us apart from our routines from our extended families and uh, on this day, outside for worship. There does not seem to be much about these days that any of us would call ordinary. People have always had a tendency to resist change and push back against anything that forces us out of our ordinary lives, especially those of us with privilege if we've grown accustomed to things like having a food on the table and a, a shelter and, and to say nothing about uh, our family and social routines, if these are things that we have become accustomed to, which we are now struggling with the loss of, we are on this planet among the most fortunate. But things have changed. Things are changing for all of us. So as we arrive at this familiar parable of the sower and the seed in Matthew's gospel, we do well to remind ourselves of how we've gotten here in this same gospel. There's nothing ordinary about the ministry of Jesus or about the, the, the way people are responding to it, reacting to it. In chapter 12, there are several stories of Jesus being in conflict with uh, religious leaders, especially the Pharisees, keepers of the law, who are now plotting to destroy Jesus and have even accused him of working with Satan. By the end of chapter 12, Jesus appears to be at odds even with his own family. Uh, At the end of chapter 13, he will be rejected by his own hometown. Religious leaders grumbled that the disciples were picking grain on the Sabbath. And right after that, Jesus healed the man with a withered hand, also on the day of worship, so they grumbled about that. So it looks like as we arrive at this parable, Jesus has had enough, and he points out that he was pretty sure that those hypocrites would climb down into a pit if one of their sheep fell into a hole and and retrieve it from that hole. And isn't this guy this human being, worth as much as one of your sheep. And it's right after all of this stuff in Matthew's gospel that Jesus tells the parable of the sower and the seed. It's probably important for us to know that context. One fine day, Jesus climbs into a boat, and to get some separation from the crowds pressing in, goes out a little bit, and everybody's gathered there on the shore, and he tells them a story. Once upon a time, a sower threw seeds all over the place. And some seeds fell on the hard path, and the birds found them and feasted, and others fell on shallow, rocky soil and couldn't put down roots. And when the sun rose hot, they withered, and other seeds got choked out by the weeds. It's a familiar story to us. Only the fourth batch found the good soil, the rich, deep, dark earth, and there was a bountiful harvest, 30, 60, 100-fold. Now, pastors love to take this parable and try and find something that you never thought of before. That's one of the hobbies of preachers. Uh, But more often than not, this, this story is told in such a way as we are admonished, all of us, to somehow be good soil, be the kind of soil where faith can grow, But I'm not sure that we would recognize what good soil for faith to grow looks like if we saw it. Surely, the chief priests, the elders, the keepers of the laws, the Pharisees figured that Jesus was talking about them when he was speaking of good soil. I mean, Jesus says, those who hear the word and understand it, and they're thinking, understand it? We wrote the books. We are what good soil looks like, they thought. That is until Jesus shared with them that tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God before you guys. Now, this generally sounds to us like a smackdown. And frankly, that's why we like it. Uh, we like it because it looks like Jesus is putting those holier-than-thou people in their place. And, I, you know, I'm a lot of things, you might be thinking, but I'm not some kind of relig- religious zealot. I don't think I'm better than the person sitting next to me or behind me. I wonder, though, if it isn't more about lifting up people than it is about putting down. Jesus doesn't say to the religious leaders, the scribes and elders and Pharisees, that you're not going to get into the kingdom of God. He simply points out that tax collectors and prostitutes are going to be there too, and they're in line in front of you, right? Jesus is lifting up those who are considered lowlifes, outcasts, cursed. The virtuous with their titles... They already have a privileged place at the table. It seems to me that Jesus is so often lifting up and including others. And what would be the point of yelling about being good soil anyway? I mean, soil can't change itself. So what hope is there for rocky soil or weedy soil? Soil can't change. You might as well tell me to get younger. This parable is about faith, and it came at a time of great upheaval and change in the world. So it invites a question. Why is it that faith in God takes root in some people's lives and apparently not in others? Why do some people find it possible, even necessary, to believe while others just don't. And what about the church, this community of faith in Christ? Why is it that the faith community is so life giving to some while many others want nothing to do with it? We know there are many people who feel betrayed and, and injured by the church along the way. For some people, this gathering does not, would not feel like a safe place to be, even when we are gathered outside. What draws some into a life-giving connection with the community of faith while others are nowhere to be found on a Sunday morning? The church in every age is called to struggle with these questions. One thing I have noticed over the years, is that faith so often grows under less than ideal conditions. To be sure, sometimes faith begins to flourish in the heights of wonder and awe, in the midst of some joy suddenly realized or long hoped for. But often the seed of faith begins to take hold in the midst of an illness, Sometimes it takes hold in the mourning and the loss of someone so loved. So often faith can take root itself in those cracks and valleys that represent loss and sadness. As the psalmist reminds us, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. What if good soil for faith is broken soil, parched soil. Maybe this brokenness in our pandemic world, this conflict, this search for justice and redemption in our society is exactly the kind of soil where the broken church can thrive. Rachel Held Evans wrote in her book, called sober mercies the particular brand of love and loyalty that seemed to flow so easily in recovery meetings wasn't like anything i'd ever experienced inside or outside of the church but how could this be she asked How could a bunch of addicts and alcoholics manage to succeed at creating the kind of intimate fellowship so many of my Christian groups had tried to achieve and failed? Many months would pass before I understood that people bond more deeply over shared brokenness than they do over shared beliefs. That quote from her book resonated so deeply with people that Rachel later reflected more on this truth and she shared that when folks gather around a shared system of beliefs, the price of acceptance in the group is usually agreement, which means the greatest value, stated or not, is being right. Unfortunately, this often creates an atmosphere of fear and performance, which in turn invites conformity. But when people gather around a shared need for healing, she wrote, the price of acceptance in the group is usually vulnerability, which means the greatest value, stated or not, is being real. This tends to foster an atmosphere of safety and participation, which in turn invites community. As we marked a couple weeks ago the 50th anniversary of the decision to approve the ordination of women clergy in the Lutheran Church in the United States, and the 40th year anniversary for clergy women of color, and the 10th year anniversary. For openly LGBTQ clergy, we are reminded that change is always happening. The gospel always goes into the eye of the storm, to the other side of the wall, in search of another person to include. As Pastor Kelly Chapman reminded us last Sunday in his sermon, the church does not cut us off from the world. The church connects us to the world. It does not matter if your congregation, he said, is in Isante or Jordan or Eden Prairie or Elk River or North or South Minneapolis. The church is the body of Christ connecting us to God's world. God's Neighborhood. Members and friends of Prince of Peace, we together have been called, equipped, and sent for just such a time as this. Ordinary or not, no matter how long it takes, The gospel will continue to go out from this place, whether inside or out, for we have been called as God's people to be bearers of good news in a world that's troubled and churning. We are called to go into the eye of the storm, to the other side of the wall, and find our neighbor in need so that they might hear from us, from our own lips, that they are beloved as well, children of God, whether they live in Minneapolis, whether they live in East Africa, this is our message. This is who are, we are called to be. And it is a blessing to be about this calling, this work with all of you. Amen. Amen. Dismantling our empires till each one of us is free.